think it's your turn to do this. We are Screaming Divas. Screaming Divas. It Screaming Divas. Like it's it's twelve thirty at night here for me, and I'm in my dressing room, so I'm gonna be like, I'm just Screaming Divas. Screaming Divas. How's that? In the woods. You're in the woods. I am in definitely in the woods today. It's pretty. Who did we interview today? Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that he said yes to this, but he did. And we had such an amazing conversation. We interviewed the builder of careers, Matthew Epstein. Matthew Epstein people. He came on the Screaming Divas. I cannot believe it. He doesn't do interviews. He does not do interviews. Really helped shape our careers, right? Massively shaped our careers. Massively. What's so interesting to me is that he has done, he has been an artistic administrator and an artistic advisor, a general manager forever, and also became a general director. I mean, he has done the span of opera and we asked him, you know, what is your favorite? And he said, actually just being an impresario. He loves this art form and loves this business and loves the people that are in it. And I think that shows. And he misses it like we all do. So all of you out there really, He's an advocate for speaking up and asking for support for the arts. So, you know what? This is a really motivational interview. I feel really pumped after right. interviewing him. That yeah. I just felt excited that opera was coming back. <laughs> that live opera, live opera is where it needs to be. Live performances. And honestly, not just opera, but live everything. Live performances need to be back. We need this. We need the support of the American government for this, at least in this country. Yep. And he is a huge fighter and supporter of that. And, um, you know, I wish I could have hugged him through the Zoom. Well, we did. We did. So, you know, check out this clip and speak up, people. Support the arts. We need you all now more than ever. More than ever. Here's check it out. Check it out. What is your favorite word? Bravo. What is no, your say favorite? it right. Say it right. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you got it. Put a lot of put a lot of space in it. I will never forget that sound for the rest, like my entire life. I know yeah. that sound. I know who. I vocal. I vocalize before key appointments. <laughs> before key before key performances. I, I literally do it. Ha ha ha. Hmm. Make sure that I have that upper resonance. I love you, Matthew. Hang on it, as I call it, right? You know, like, yeah. I love you. (gasps) Hello, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Can you hear us? I just see his hand. (laughs) Can you you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, we can. Hey, it works. Now I don't know what to do. How do I do? How do I speak? Am I, do you hear me? Yeah, yeah. you great. Oh, that's great. Okay, I'm all you're set. Perfect. See, you're a pro at this. Well, I've only done it twice. Wow. Well, that's all you needed. Where's your cocktail charm? No cocktails, dear. You don't oh, want no? cocktails. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's I've, ten I've o'clock been, here. Been, I, I'm sure. <laughs> I've been very, very good. I've been very, very good this whole year. It's a year now. I have been in quarantine for a year. 
Okay, is this beard, which is absolutely amazing, is this the quarantine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really short, sort of little scruff. Mm -hmm. Now it's, a, I look like Santa, uh, a demonic Santa Claus. It's very good. <laughs> demonic Santa Claus. I like it. Now, I like it. Yeah. It's not scraggly. You take care of no, it. No, no, I take good care. I have a, I have a very good barber. Mm, wow. Important. Because you've both been in this room. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Oh my gosh. I'll, I can't say it now. You sang Balo. You sang Balo and Aida for me in this room, Miss Radvanovsky, and Miss Alkana sang her very, very first ever soprano session on Bocanegra aria in this room. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I go oh, back maybe. with you. I realized I go back with both of you to the very start. Music Academy of the West for Carrie. Yes. As as a very talented young mezzo who I knew immediately was a soprano, and told her so, and. and and Radvanovsky from the stairs of the Met with, uh, with uh, uh, Karen Ashley, where you told me that you were going to be singing Tosca. And I said, it'll take a while, though, dear, won't it? <laughs> well, you know, we dream big, right? Right. Dream well, big. listen, you both. It was clear about you both from the very, very first. From the very, very first. Very it's interesting. But you know... This year has been good because I, I've gone through all kinds of YouTubes and I've watched I, all my, a lot of stuff in my house and my collections of things. And I, and I have so much amazing memories of wonderful artists of the whole last 40, 50 years. I mean, I go back to Tito Gobi and Renata Tabaldi right. and Caballé and Kalas. And I saw all those people perform up to now, but to see all of you emerge into your primes and do what you're going to do uh it's a thrill for me it's a, it moves me to you can't know how much it moves me I can i okay since we're on that topic i just want to quickly ask you of all the people that you've witnessed in your life as singers and worked with and all of that yeah. who blew your socks off and you were speechless because i've never seen you speechless <laughs> speechless Speechless. I've never been speechless. I, I would <laughs> say, I would say, I would say the the, uh, uh, the early Miss Horn was pretty incredible, pretty uh, incredible, pretty incredible. But you know, I, I heard you know, I, my very first years of going to the opera were people like Tabaldi and Corelli and Caballé. I mean, you know, I came in at the beginning of Caballé, in the middle of Tabaldi, at the end of Callas, at the end of Gobi. Um, I was very lucky. I heard Christoph in the flesh. Um, I heard a lot of the greatest singers. I heard the whole of Leontine's career, the wow. whole of Marilyn Horne's career, the whole of Pavarotti Domingo's career. I mean, I came, I saw Domingo at Lewiston Stadium when he was not even at the City Opera yet. He came in, uh, he had done one or two performances in City Opera, but he came in to replace somebody in Cab Fag. I think it was Tucker. And he sang the both roles at Lewiston Stadium. This was in like 65. I mean, way, way back. Okay. We're talking... Sorry. So, I mean, it's very hard to stay speechless because I'm, I'm, I'm the loudest person in the audience at any performance. Well, that was I another always... question ah, I wanted ah, to talk. Ah, I'm in voice we play. always know when you are in the audience, yes, by the I'm, way, yeah. because Matthew I'm... has a very distinctive... Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Okay, How supposed to happen? So there you go. Yeah, we All always right. know when you're in the audience. Well, always. no, you know, uh, yeah, but I, that's because you know I love it, and you know what else? I get very upset at people who don't understand this, but the singers do know 
when the public reacts that way, it feeds the performance. Absolutely. When you have a, you, you know, as singers, if you have a hot audience and you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes into the show that you've got that kind of an audience, it spurs you on to do more. Yes. I mean, this work that you guys, this magical work that you do, it's about a relationship with a live audience. That's why this, this pandemic has been so terrible because it's not the same. I mean, I, one of the subjects I was gonna talk about today and I'll take it up right now, okay. is the difference between live performance and video and, and studio and recording, which is not the same thing. There are people who are great on recordings and they're really good at it, but they're not, none of the greats were as good in the studio as they were live. That's why we listen to all those Kalas live performances all the time. I know. She, never, she never was as good in the studio. No. Though there were some wonderful things. Can, I just want to ask you one question because I, I, you know, I've known you for so long, but I really wanted to research you to find out where this all started because you and I've never talked about that. And I did read this um, thing that said you were actually, was it in the 60s where you were backstage trying to get autographs and meeting singers? Yeah, I was a standee. I was a standee. Like yeah. Matthew Horner. I met Matthew Horner when he was a standee. <laughs> I love this. So, do you have all and these Bob, signatures? And Bob Lo oh, I have, I have, I have autographs of Tibaldi, Callas, Gobi, uh, Corelli, everybody, Nielsen, everybody. When every is the book When is the know, book coming? I, I need a book. I yes. wish there was a publisher that wanted it. I'm ready to do it. I could do it. I just, I can't. I, you know, I've looked and I've been sort of. They don't want anything about classical music. It's so sad. We've so been sad. marginalized because yeah. 20 years ago there would have been a book. Uh, what about streaming divas productions? Well, go for it. <laughs> you can have I mean, a series. Your story you can has have to a, be told. You can have a series anytime you want, but uh, you know, I, I, they don't really. They don't really. It's, and it's funny. I need a ghostwriter. I'm not going to write a book. Right. I, I, that discipline I don't have. I have the discipline to do my walking and to do my working out with my dumbbells and all that stuff. But at this age, I don't have the discipline to sit. I've never been a, a, a typist or a good writer. I mean, I can write a short paragraph if I have to and then okay. revise it and get it right. You know, press release sort of thing. Bio. <laughs> I was really good at writing bios in my best days. Um, Love it. Well, you know, there's an art to it. There is. There's an art to doing it really well, too. Knowing what to include, what not to include, you know. But um, no, I've been very privileged because I was thinking this, that from the very start of working with people like Stilwell and, and von Stade, all the way through to the end of my management career, mm -hmm. I worked with a huge list of people, both that I represented and people that I worked with or that I knew or that I helped. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, Sandra, but I helped get your very first some of your very important jobs. For I example, do. I was involved with that Louisa Miller. I was involved with the Vepre in Paris. I was, you know, I, I carried the same thing there. When things were, well, as you know, your first soprano role was because I said, Christopher, take care, she'll be great. And yeah. you went and worked with him a little and he agreed. Yeah. yeah. That was your debut yeah, as you a did, soprano. Yeah. But you never, you never bragged about it. Ever. No, no. I, I, I don't, because you know what? I have a very strange, I'm a big egotist and I'm a big control man. However, I do it in a light way. I, and I'm also, I, don't, I have a aversion for being a pain in the butt. You know, uh, I can be very aggressive if, if with someone, if they're, you know, if they're asking me to help them, I really will be very strong with them about things. But I also don't like to pressure people into taking the advice that I give if they don't want it. 
Because, you know, there's a, the thing that's magic about an artist, artists are constantly being told what to do in our field. Directors, conductors, coaches, teachers, advisors, managers, all this input. The great artist is the one who takes the input and it's like a meal and they, they chew on it for a while and they mm -hmm. digest it for a while and then out comes their own thing. So I know that that magic process, I can't be, I'm not the performer. I can suggest something. I can say, how about this reading of this line? But I'd rather ask you, what do you think this, this line needs something? What do you think? And you, you know, Carrie, you work with me coaching. Right. You know that that's the way I work. It's all right. dialogue. Right. Mm -hmm. You Absolutely. know, I, I, I can occasionally suggest a reading, but it's only my suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny about ego. I, I'm pretty satisfied. I keep people keep saying, well, why don't you want to, you know, I'm, I'm withdrawing from teaching. I'm, I'm going to stop doing it. at. Uh, well, I've stopped at Juilliard and I've stopped at the Met and I stopped okay. at Curtis because if people want to see me, they can come up here and see me. They can pay my fee when the times I can't take money from singers now anyway. I mean, you know, at least until the beginning of the next year, I can't. It's just not fair to them. Right. You know, even the most successful of you, the ones who have worked a lot, have had half their income. Keep going. Keep I, mean, I know. I know you've worked. You've worked. You, you and Fabiano and a few other people have worked, but still you've lost half your income for this last year. And yeah. other people, very successful people, have lost ninety percent. So you know, cool. I'm in touch. hundred. Yeah, I'm in touch with Luca. I'm in touch with uh, various people. I know who's worked, who hasn't worked. I know. I keep in touch. You know, with enough by seeing what's going on. I mean, it's lucky that some of these European venues have worked. Right. Yeah, yeah. right, no joke. Okay, so then let's talk about this, about the pandemic, because I yeah. remember your advice as a young artist and really about it, about building a career, because it's not just about the voice, it's about the career as a whole. Long-term. What would you tell singers now? What What would you tell singers like even myself that are in the middle of a career and and everything is just gone? I mean, what do you, where, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? What would you advise young singers? I guess singers across the board to be kind of whatever. Right now, I think the first thing you have to think about is to renew the contacts that are already in your life. In other words, people who have been positive uh, colleagues you have to go and actually look for work. I mean, that's the first thing I would say. This is going to be a very tough next couple of years because a lot of people will retrench and do very few new productions. And there will be lots of changes. I yep. mean, I would say that as these theaters open, they will have to now rejig so much that certain artists will lose contracts, but other artists will gain contracts. Right. So, but you have to, but both you and your managers will have to work very much on on reestablishing relationships. And also you have to look into what repertoire you might be able to fit into. But you know, it's very interesting. The other thing is both of you ladies have done a, a, a beautiful arc of career so that you're in vocally fresh condition after a long career. And there are many ideas that will suit you. There are many ideas that shouldn't be taken. But you see, the people who are running these companies don't know any better. No, right. I mean, they have to cast. They there have are to very, work. no, not even that. There are, excuse me, and I'm happy to be quoted because I, I have no axe to grind. I don't work for anybody anymore. I don't care. They should all go and screw themselves. I don't Thank care. I don't, I don't need a cocktail to say this. <laughs> Frankly, 98% of the people who run these companies don't know anything about voices or music. 
they're running it for the wrong the wrong reasons have been have appointed. There are one or two in this country who know something about it, but most of them don't. And it's terrible. They get artistic advice from other people who are wise. I mean, there are a few really wise people in the artistic administration world, mm -hmm. but most of the people running these companies don't know anything. And they cast singers incorrectly, and the singers for singers are people pleasers. They say yes too often. Everything. You know, yes. one of the first questions when you're in the top of your career is, what is the role I want to sing? Where do I want to sing? Who do I want to sing with? Who should conduct and who should direct? If you don't ask all those questions, you're making a big mistake. Um, you know, there are various things that you do as a, if you're a really good manager. When you're at the very tippy top, and I've had a few artists who have been at the very tippy top, you, you can't make any more money. Because you know yeah. your con your your opera con uh, your opera dates are full. Mm -hmm. If you can get some high-paying concert dates, that's lovely. But you know there are less and less of those these days. But opera dates, you've got to be rather than ask more money, you're not going to get it. You've got to start controlling the circumstances, and the circumstances have to be a hundred percent as you get into that top place it's not rocket science to manage your career you just have to know how to do it but the problem is the people that one deals with on the other side most of them really don't know they don't know what they're doing no i'm sorry and to i've say said so. that to young artists no is the hardest word that you have oh, you to bet you bet and no nicely it's not yes. for me i wish it were but it's not for me but i'll tell you something else i'll tell you something else we are casting in terms of physique and not in terms of voice I want to. I want to go back for okay. for our viewers and our listeners. Can, describe what you do. I mean, well, but you've yeah. you've held multiple hats throughout the I know. Your career. I, I scream. I scream bravo at good performances <laughs> to to spur on my friends. Uh, <laughs> what else do I do? I listen and watch, and want to be moved and excited by something. And when I am, there's no high as high as that no matter what, what alcohol you drink or what drug you smoke there's nothing like the high you feel from a great performance the yeah. thrill of that live performances yeah. um i give advice very too generously and i've learned to not expect it to be taken up because smart people will take it up to a great extent and the ones who aren't smart, eventually you don't give them the advice anymore because, you know, there's no point. If people want the advice and take it, there becomes a, a relationship that works very well. But I, you know, I do a little bit of coaching. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of audition preparation. Mm -hmm. I, what I do a lot of is I take a young singer and I look at them and I say, oh, Leah Hawkins, you're wonderful. Um, you sh you're a soprano, you know, dear. Oh, no. I said, yes, you are. And then, then yeah. suddenly she becomes a soprano. And then I say to her, well, now, Leah, what are you going to sing in auditions? So, well, let's talk about, and, and eventually a program has come to, and, and it takes a couple of years to get to that program with that singer. And then suddenly they start to get work. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing how, and I may be sometimes, I may be wrong, because the voice may develop in a certain way, and the ideas that we initially had may go out. Something else may come in. I remember, though, being in Santa Fe and seeing the performance of Intermezzo by Strauss. And um, a young tenor was singing the Baron Lummer, the kind of boy toy of uh, Christine. And that young tenor, very handsome, uh, 
struck me. I thought he, I'd known him as an apprentice and he struck me. And I said to him after the performance, would you come and talk to me and bring your manager, bring Mr. Lombardo. I would like to talk to you about your future repertoire. There are two roles I'd like you to prepare. Parsifal, the monologue and the entrance of Bacchus in the in uh, Ariadne of Naxos. Yeah. And so about six weeks later, into my apartment walked Brandon Yovanovich. <laughs> I knew you were who, gonna say that name. Who at that point was singing, you know, Pinkerton and Carmen and Tosca. Very well, I mean, perfectly well. But the minute he started to sing Parsifal and Ariadne, I said, now that's what you're going to sing. And that was way back. He had just come off apprenticeship. Year or two, yeah. you know, it was 20 years ago. And, you know, I came to, to Boston to see his very first um, performance of Bacchus. And he wasn't very happy about it. He had, had the usual place at the end that's so hard. He didn't quite get there, but he was fabulous. And that's, he's become the one for that repertoire. You know, it's having a little bit of sense that I, that's what I do. I don't know what I do. I mean- Impresario, I, would you call yourself yes, an impresario? Yes, I call myself an impresario. Yes, I, I call, I'm like La Roche in Capriccio. I, I take to see a talent and I, I, be, I believe in it and I encourage yeah. it. And I, from time to time, people check in and they don't check in. And, you know, even if I, if I see something, I go, you know, I'll come backstage and say, oh, you were terrific here. It, you know, what else can I say? You know, I, I came to see you in all three of those amazing Donizetti's. Yeah, By the and way, you, know you would have told me the truth if they sucked too. Yeah, I would have, <laughs> um, or I wouldn't have come backstage. Um, you know, if I don't have to come backstage, which I don't anymore, right. if I come backstage, it means I liked it. Right. Because I mean, what am I? Why would I come backstage otherwise? You know, right. I, and then I, you I know, you really sucked when you heard your Bravo. And you didn't <laughs> the come back. Theater. Theater. And, and you don't come backstage. You're like, oh no. Okay, but, but do you? No, I, I, I want to go back on something. Okay. You know, you both are big voices. You're important voices. Why does? Why does the opera world seem to not understand the difference between a real voice and the voices that look good on camera? I mean, both of you look great. You know, that's not a question, but they want these, what I call cosmetic talents. Yep. They want these people who look good and sound good on microphone, but in the theater, they're nothing. They're mm -hmm. nothing. And you, you know, having heard Birgit Nielsen, as Turandot, it's very hard to hear these cosmetic people sing Turandot. You know, Turandot needs a certain kind of voice. And either it's got to be Birgit Nielsen or it's got to be someone with a with a real Straussy voice like like Riesenek used to have. But it's really heavy. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't require a, a, a Mimi voice. It doesn't require a butterfly voice. It requires more. But don't you think that that's why they're not selling? I mean, these voices aren't heard. They're not moving you. You're not, I mean, I go to the theater. I'm not moved. I love, I'm a weirdo singer and I love to listen to singers. I love to go You're to- not them. a weirdo. And I, a lot of my friends don't like to go, but I do. And I love to sit there. I want a voice to move me. I want a voice to just peel my hair off my face. That's right. And I, and I go and I'm thinking in, okay, I can't hear them. This is not That's the it. voice for this repertoire. No wonder you don't sell these, these tickets because trust me, if you had those voices, the house would be packed. I believe yeah. that. But, but go I, one step further. Who's teaching dramatic voices? Oh, these nobody. Well, no, I don't agree with you. I think there are teachers who can teach dramatic voices. I think there are also coaches who can really work with dramatic voices. I but I think, and I think once you get to a certain level of, of work, it's not a mad matter of having a specific voice teacher. As you know, Sandra, it's sometimes the, real, the person is a, is, is a brilliant vocal coach. 
Yeah. And I believe in vocal coaches. I believe in having teams too. Mm -hmm. I believe sometimes Ooh. you have more than one. Yeah. You know, again, the information that all of these people in your life give you is not your, it's not yours until you've digested. It's, and when you've digested, it's no longer theirs, it's yours. Mm -hmm. But the fact is getting good information makes a difference. An idea about a phrase, an idea about the way you pronounce a word, text. I mean, text becomes, I just been sending to some friends a video I found yesterday online of Tito Gobi singing the Credo from Otello. In this video, which was made in the pretty late in his career, 1965, it was made in London with Macaris, and all they do is have him stand in a black costume on a black background, and you just have a headshot of him singing this aria. There's no movement, there's nothing else except his head, his face, singing the credo. I sent it to Bill Mason, who was brought up as a little boy with Tito Gobi from the day he was a, he played the, the shepherd boy in Tosca with mm -hmm. in the original Tito Gobi, uh, Renato Tibaldi, uh, Eleanor Stever, actually. Uh, Tosca in Chicago, and from yeah. 1955, he was, Tito Gobi was his idol from 1955 on. So I sent him and I got the most beautiful uh, response just now, a few minutes ago, from Bill Mason saying, do you know, of course, that Tito Gobi was my idol? And I said, of course, that's why I sent this to you, because mm -hmm. it's so amazing. You'll find it. If you look for Tito Gobi, Iago, uh, it's, it's, a, it's okay. a video. It's magnificent. He does nothing, but the voice, it's not beautiful, but it's it's this, this, this amazing use of text, this amazing concentration of what is actually the situation of this aria. It's, uh, it's when he says, a poi, a poi. It's just mm -hmm. incredible what he does. I have, taught, you ever, have either of you blonde now, blonde ladies, have you ever sung Desdemona? Yes, I love Desdemona. You have sung it. Oh, okay. They want they want a different sound now for that. They want lighter and lighter and lighter. And I Keep don't done with all of it. I don't get yeah. it. And I mean, Ridiculous. They, they want light voices so much that pushes me into repertoire that I wasn't ready for or, or wanted to do. Honestly, I yeah. was like, why? I, you want to put me in these barn opera houses to sing Wagner. And I, I mean, I don't get this. I just, none of it made any sense. So tell me this, how do we fix that? How does that get fixed in the opera business? Is that really at the feet of the general director and the boards? I think it's, it's not to be fixed. It's one of the reasons I've retired. I, you know, I, I am known to be rather outspoken. And so I just say, this is garbage. I'm not going to sit through this. I'm going, I'm leaving. I've had enough. Uh, you know, I've had enough in so many different situations and I don't even bother going anymore. Okay. You know, I, I just don't bother going. I, I, I found the number of performances that I've been going to in, in around the business less and less and less every year because I just, I can't sit through another inadequate Bohem or an inadequate Butterfly or an inadequate Carmen. Amen. I don't want to. And, you know, I know how it's supposed to go. I know how to cast it. You know, they just, they just, because of the uh, pandemic, they just had a, 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 a bohem down in Palm Beach with Latonia, Isabel, yeah. Fabiano, Quinn, right. you know, fabulous, mean, big voice cast. You know, yeah. that's a bohem cast. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But you know what, it's, I was teaching, I've been teaching the academy students here, the Young Artists Program in Paris. Uh -huh. And today they, they asked me some questions and they, one of them actually made a comment and it really struck me because I'm teaching them about how to sing in a hall here like the Bastille. I'm not teaching them how to sing in a dressing room, you know? And I keep saying to them, if you sing like this, they're not gonna hear you at the back of the opera house. 
And the one, and I, I didn't even realize that I was doing it. And the one kid called me out and he said, thank you, because nobody else talks to us like this. And well, you Sandra, know because you've been on stage. The honest truth is, I, I've discovered this from my own work. Very, very, very often when I've taught places, they put me in very small rooms. Right. And I finally got to the point in Frankfurt and in Juilliard and at Curtis where I said, look, I can do a lot of work in a small room about certain aspects, mm -hmm. but I can't really do what I have really here to do, which is to help advise about repertoire unless mm -hmm. I get to know the singer in a bigger space. Right. I really, so at least at Juilliard, they put me in the biggest rooms and that was helpful, at least helpful. You know, because I've had a decade of Juilliard singers. I've had Appleby and, and Julia Bullock and all these people these last years, you know, and so I, I, I've helped them develop. You know, that's the thing. I can't, I don't want to have the responsibility of being a manager anymore. I don't certainly ever want to be anyone's voice teacher. That's, I can do it. I, as Carrie can tell you, I know a lot, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be. I want to be a, an advisor who may comment on vocal qualities or may comment about text or make you know I, and for example i couldn't coach someone on german rep because i don't speak german right. i mean i can listen to german and tell you whether i think it sounds good but i can't really coach german but i, I can coach the marshall and i know that piece so well that i can but you know i have to really know the piece well i don't like coaching pieces i don't even know i like to know, know the piece yeah. but you know it's very funny i have no ambition to do any more than i've already done in my life I've had the full, what a wonderful dream life for someone who as a teenager was taken to the opera by his mom. I was telling uh, Tony Rudell that my very first performance of Carmen, was his, it was his dad's 100th birthday the other day, oh, Julius's 100th oh, yeah. birthday, okay. two or three days, it was the sixth. And I sent around a lovely picture that I had of Julius and I together and to some friends who knew Julius. And I was on the email with Tony and I said, you know, my very first Carmen performance was with your dad conducting at the city center in the old house. Mm -hmm. And I said, my mother took me and through a friend at the box office, who Tony knew, uh, Frank Ceresi around the box office, we got seats in the fifth row. And as the curtain went down, as the lights went down for the first act, we were two off the aisle and there were two seats. Into the, into the house came a man in a top hat and a, a little bowler hat and an umbrella and a black uh, outfit. And he sat down, very thin man. And I looked over and I said to my mother, that's Rudolph Bing. The performance of Carmen that Julius Rudell conducted in 1964 was unknown singers called Shirley Verrett, Richard Cassidy, and Norman Trago. Therefore, Bing was at the performance. Oh my God. And that was my first Carmen. I mean, that, I, I, in the, in the year before I'd been taken by my mother to see a Fledermouse at the Met, didn't know who the singers were. Turned out it was Dorothy Kirsten. It was Roberta Peters. It was John Alexander. You know, wonderful. I, I heard Joan Sutherland sing Traviata at the Met wow. in her absolute prime. You That's know, the voice to sing Traviata. You bet. Well, you're gonna, you're supposed to, have, you were supposed to do it. It didn't happen. You're gonna I'm do it again. To be there right now. Yeah, I know. You're gonna do it again. No. Well, no. Ma make them do it. Make them do it. Okay. Tell me this. You have worn the hat of artist manager, general director, artistic advisor, artistic administrator. Are which hat has been your favorite? Impresario. Which one have you loved the most? Impresario. Okay. You, you know. What I am is, I am the world's biggest opera fan. 
I'm lucky. I love it. I love it so much. It's really, it's really a passion. It's a passion. And when it's good, that's my ego. I, when something's good, it makes me glad. And if I help to make it good, I, that's where my ego comes in. Okay. Whatever it is, when I listened to a tape the other day of an Aria Dante performance from Carnegie Hall, and I listened to Dopo Note with Tatiana, and I remember how incredible she was that night, what a crazy performance that was. It, it gives me joy. Okay. You know, that's for me the most fulfilling thing. And I can go through from the ninth, I can remember, uh, the, 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 of course, those wonderful normas that you and Elsa did together in, uh, in Bordeaux that was so amazing. By the way, you know, I was going to say to you ladies, you realize that all those operas, Duarte, Bolena, Norma, were all written for two sopranos. There weren't high mezzos that didn't exist. There were contraltos and there, was, there were mezzos. So if you're talking about Anna Bolena, Giovanna Simo was written for a soprano. Right. And it's higher than Anna Bolena. Right. I know it killed me. It's I harder. Sung, I sung Anna, yeah. and then I would, had to learn Jane, and I thought, oh, I, I don't have to take as much time as I did with Anna to learn Jane. Big mistake. Big, huge. Jane is so much harder than Anna. But okay, let's talk. Let's can we go back to recordings versus this yeah. streaming garbage? I like that word, garbage. There is no more recording. No, none. Yeah. So well, now we're in this digital world. What do you think about this? Should all live performance. All live. The only thing you can make in terms of recording, and it's nice to have one, is a recital disc. Mm. If you're a recital singer, a song singer, you can make song discs with piano, and those are cheap to make, and you, you can make them yourselves. Sure. But, but people don't want that in recitals anymore. They want all arias. Well, in your case, you should do arias. You're not that, you're not a song singer. That's not your fuck. You know, I, I, there are people who sh who are both. You're yeah. not. But 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 what is necessary for a singer like you or Carrie is to sing a solo recital disc, and those are very expensive. And when the big the few big th uh, houses have the money to spend, they're very tough about it, and you end up making nothing. Nowadays, you don't get any kind of big guarantee or anything. So you make no money out of these things. But it's nice to have a CD. But even now, they don't sell CDs. No one buys them. They only download. Right. So, you know, my theory is that the, if you're singing regularly in a theater, like it would be nice to make a deal with the Paris Opera or the Met or the Vienna State Opera to, to all the recordings you do to be able to eventually put them out on, you know, on digi digitally. But it's unbelievably complicated. It's just really complicated. I don't know what the answer to. I don't believe there is an answer. I think that the only way we're going to preserve this whole generation is going to be live, complete performances or yeah. concert performances. There's a whole generation that's not going to be recorded. I no, mean, it's not. I think I think our generation and people even ten years younger than us. It it forget it. You know that that. I made my solo CD and it cost me money to make it. Yeah, I know. And people don't understand that. Completely understand, completely understand. And, and I, I, my advice to singers who ask me about recordings is don't forget it. It's very interesting with the, this conversation. When Renee and I worked together, one of the things I said to her, you're gonna be the last yep. of the recorded singers. I said, and very frankly, more important for your legacy than your recordings are, are your live, videos because at the end of the day now we look back at her recordings of 
or videos of Rosen Cavalier or the Manon or Thais or whatever it's going to be. And there's a huge library of video material. Yeah. yeah. And I was right. I had a, a big discussion with Igal who wanted to uh, get wow. a, spe a specific fee deal for Renee over a three or four year period. Mm -hmm. for, and, and it was a time of year Renee wanted to come to Paris. That was the only time, which was after her child was basically finished with school. It was May, June, July. Mm -hmm. And I said, Ugh, she'll come you know, four years in a row. I said, but every single one of those projects has to be for video. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, we'll do it. If you'll give me the fee I'll, and give me four years, I'll do that. And those are the four of the most important, the Capriccio, the Rosalca, the Manon, and the one more. I don't remember what the fourth one was, but you know, those were very important recordings for her. So right. I believe that the thing has shifted, but that's, uh, has its negative, which is that the, so many people get away with not having enough voice on video. And we don't get paid for it. Well, that's the other thing. Excuse me. Can we talk about okay. that? We can talk about that very well. You can ask anyone in the profession. When that started to come up, I got all the managers together around a table in New York, all the New York men, and I included the European ones as well, Michael Levine and Tom Graham and other people. I got them all together in one room, the IMG people, the Opus 3 people, the Kami people, and I said, this has got to stop. Peter Gelb can't get away with this. Well, of course, he got away with it. They let him, they let it, let it go. And now it's a worldwide phenomenon. You make nothing. Nothing. Oh, you get a percentage. Well, excuse me. That is such a rook. Not at the Met. I don't get no. a percentage of anything of all these free broadcasts that they're yeah, putting. Yeah, I know, I know. 10% or 5% or 3% of zero is still zero. zero. Yeah, but you know, they, in the old days, they, they used to pay performance fee, yep. US live video, European live video, and four fees. And the fourth was the, uh, was the world rights for the, um, for the recording, you know, for the, to put out the- Royalties. The yeah. DVDs. Yeah, I, well, and you got, I, you know, you didn't get royalties, but you got four fees. And so now let's you say don't even find out when they're putting the video up. I just no. read on an opera blog today that another one of my videos is being released. Uh, uh, I don't care. They don't because, do, do, what are we? Are we invisible, Matthew? No. Uh, that's what's happened. Yep. But realize that the whole business is shifted to the power of the people who produce the videos. It's not the people who sing in them. In the, in the recording days, in the Kalas and Zvaldi and so those days, the singers were important and therefore, listen, the Kalas estates must still be making fortunes of money. Oh, I can't even And imagine. the Fischer Dieskau estate and the Tobaldi estate, they must be, Schwarzkopf estate, they must be making fortunes of money still. But now the entire source of, I mean, not only have we lost on, on all those fees for video and recording, but the, actual performance fees in the past 20 years have risen uh, minutely. And it's not going to stay there. I just got the first no, it's request drop. to have my fee reduced. They're going to all drop, drop fees. Well, you know, the way to deal with that is if it's essential engagement artistically, do it. If it's not essential, drop it and try for something else better. Huge. Huge singers out again, there. Yes, again, again, you, so you're in a supply and demand business. Correct. The two of you have a different situation. Your situation is there's more demand than there is supply. So be really nice, but no, thank you. I don't need to sing those five Toscas. Thank you. Goodbye. When do you think we're going to be back? Yep. Back to sing? 
Yep. Back in opera houses. I think at the end of the summer. I think it will. I think, yeah, I think, I don't know about the Met. No. That's another question. That's right. union. Right. But I think, I think that, this, that the basic running will start again in the summer in Santa Fe and a couple of places in Europe. There'll be a festival at X. There'll be a festival at Salzburg. Some of it will be outdoors. Some will be indoors. You know, by the end of the summer, I hope, that the, the the vaccine will have gone into a high enough gear that people will start. But I mean, they look. The audiences can wear masks. Right, right. The audiences can have their can show their their phone with their vaccination certificate, right. and right. they can have their temperature taken, and they can wear a mask. That's right. not a problem. And the people in the performances have got to have been vaccinated. You can't start rehearsals without it. No. Nope. Uh, from my point of view, if I was running a theater, every artist would have to show show proof that they'd been vaccinated, and then it would be fine. Every chorus member, every member of the backup staff, everybody who's in that bubble yeah. of the opera house. And now, now, there are ways you can deal with it. They, they had an entire summer in Salzburg last year, and no one got sick. Right. But they were tested every day. Right. I know. My nose has been so violated. I had test number 41 today. Yeah. My poor nose. There's no. There are no more cells. <laughs> well, it cleans out your. It cleans out your sinuses. You got a lot of residents up there. <laughs> okay, I would like to know about this because Marilyn Horn talked about it in our interview with her about Secretary of the Arts. Yes, she said that oh. you were going after that. What is? Why haven't we had that after decades of well, people trying to have a Secretary of the Arts? I'll tell you. I don't necessarily think we need a Secretary of the Arts. Okay. What I think is that. And this is more U.S. than anywhere else, but to a certain extent, it's Canada, but it's much more U.S. Everywhere in the world, including Canada, there is arts funding from the government. Yeah. Uh, rather a lot. Right. In Britain, in Germany, in France, in Russia, in China, Argentina, all this is funded by government. No question. Right. To a lesser, a greater extent, it's funded by government to a point where if any American uh, company were funded as well as the Teatro Colón or as uh, the, the, the Bolshoi or as uh, the Frankfurt Opera or the Zurich Opera, they would be in heaven. Okay. It's, it's absurd that there is no funding for the arts in the United States. From the smallest uh, Native Indian, uh, uh, Native American uh, dance troops mm -hmm. on, on Indian territory mm -hmm. to, the, to the biggest symphonies and the biggest opera companies and to the biggest museums, the funding for the arts in the United States is a necessity because otherwise everything that is good in our society, including libraries, will die. Yes. It can't go on this way. So my proposal is that, that, that since we are now doing so much funding and since the, the, the interest rates are quite reasonable to start something, that this right now is this next six months is the time when the saving of the arts by Mr. Biden, he's got to get some more uh, stuff done. I'd hoped it would happen right after the 6th of uh, January, but then this terrible thing happened. You know, the 5th was that thing in Georgia. The 6th was when we were going to write a letter to, uh, I think it was going to be sent to the vice president okay. saying, here's a, something you could really do. And we have contacts, but it just yeah. didn't happen. Right. It's, and, it's, and for reason, that, and that was a dreadful thing that we all uh -huh. saw happen on the 6th of January. Right. But the fact is that the United States is disgraceful. It's like the healthcare situation. But even now there's healthcare. There is Medicaid. Yeah. There is, but I mean, there has to be help for the arts. Now, 
is one thing I'm going to tell you. This is, I'm glad you mentioned it. It's on my list. It's okay. the bottom of my, it's the top of my list, but it's the third thing that I, was on my list. I believe that everybody who hears this podcast when we do this, everybody has to think hard. Do they have a relationship with anybody in the Congress? Can they make a six degree of separation relationship? Do they know anybody? I've talked to impresarios in Nebraska, in Wyoming, in Texas, in Oklahoma, in uh, Louisiana, in Alabama, in Georgia. I've talked to people in all those red, quote unquote, red states, because that's where the problem is. Yeah. Yes. There's no question. Already, Chuck Schumer did an incredible job on the last bill. I think it was 15 billion for Save Our Theaters. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, but the problem there was it was for theaters that were owned. In other words, if you own your theater, like a Broadway theater or like uh, like the Lyric Opera Chicago owns its mm -hmm. theater. Right. But many but many places do not own their theaters. For example, San Francisco Opera does not own its theater. Right. The Met Opera does not own its theater. Uh, but Santa Fe does. I was told that Santa Fe profited greatly from this Save Our Theaters thing. But the fact is that they need to also help the institutions as well as the buildings. Speak up, now's but the time to speak up. This is the time between now and I'd say over this next year, this is the time to write letters to your representatives. This is the time to, to talk to people, This is to talk up to, to the people in the various local opera companies. And I do say Canada's involved too, but Canada yes. has been much better to its, 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 its artists than we have. I mean, frankly, Frankly, if you look at any, I mean, you're not Canadian born, but any Canadian born artist, whether it's Simone Osborne or the, or the Braun or you know, Russell Braun or Michael, Michael uh, Shada, mm -hmm. all those people have been helped hugely yes. by Canada Council grants, by concert tours that were sponsored. There's a lot that's done there for the arts. Canadian Opera uh, was just given $8 million. There you go. Last week, yes. Can you imagine if the, if the uh, US government gave the Met $10 million? No. A year? Amazing. I mean, Come on. I, I'm sure they haven't even over the lifetime of the opera company received no, that. No, no. It's almost nothing. There's a People tiny use bit your of, voices. There's, there's a tiny bit of national endowment money, tiny bit. But you see, I'm not so sure that it can't be accomplished by appointing a council of people. For example, you may laugh at me for saying this, but, but someone like Dolly Parton, Thank you. Uh, I'm not laughing. Absolutely. So beloved. Someone, beloved. Someone like, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, Sean Penn. Someone like Renee, I suppose. Renee someone would be great. Like, yeah, but, but uh, Michael Tilson Tom, a, a, a diverse group. Yes. A diverse group. Young people, too. There's a brilliant young uh, uh, a man of color, a playwright, uh, that's brilliant. I, I, I don't even remember the name. But there are brilliant young artists coming up, brilliant people who could be part of this. Uh, Misty Copeland is another really interesting. The thing is, they could put together a group of maybe 20 people to advise them for a few months. Right. And it's, it's commerce, it's education, it's infrastructure, it's even transportation. Because the arts affects everything. To get to the, a place, you've got to fly or take a train or take a bus or drive a car. You got eat to eat at a restaurant. Country. You need to eat at restaurants. You need to stay in a hotel. You need to buy clothes. The impact, and there are very, very interesting reports on all of this available from various arts funding groups that tell you how many billions of dollars billions. the arts contributes to the U.S. economy. Yep. I'm talking U.S. now. 
It's very, very, but you see, it's, it's, the, the Europeans don't understand it because if you go to Amsterdam, the Dutch opera is paid for, I'd say 60%. I don't know the quite the percent. When I was in Wales and running Welsh National Opera, we had a funding base from the Welsh Arts Council and from the English Arts Council, Arts Council of England because we toured both in Wales and in England. And the proportion of funding was about the number of performances we gave in each Wales and England. Okay. So we would get a total package, but it was about 60%. Can you imagine if the Met were no. funded or, or, Coven, or, or, or Chicago or, or San Francisco funded 60% by government funding? Yeah. I mean, it would be a cinch for them to raise the most, the rest. But on the, on the, on the reverse side, I always say to people, Imagine your life just without one element of it. Imagine your life without music ever. That's what they've had this year. That's but, what they've but had even, this year. Even music, right? We still have a, a record library, right? Yeah. But imagine if all of that was gone. Maybe then people would speak up more. Maybe if you couldn't even watch, for instance, our show, a film, television. You mean listen to, listen to your show, you mean? Well, you can do both. <laughs> Yes, I'd rather listen. Thanks. I, You'd rather I, listen. Okay. It's surprising, <laughs> but if you're a podcaster, I'm really good about having how how an artist starts a career, and building the career in the first years of how to build that that thing and getting it up to that major point. And when you're at the major point, I'm pretty good at maintaining it. I'm, I'm smart about this and making sure you do the right things in the, in the maintenance stage, which can be made to last quite a long time. Some of these careers last 40 years, you know? You know, I'm proud to say Sam's and Catherine's and, and, and Flicka's and Susan's and Renee, these have lasted a long, shake off, a long time, right. long time. Yeah. But there's also the right way to end a career. No one ever talks about it. No. Nope. But you know, choosing the right things as you know that you can't do your original stuff anymore that happens mm -hmm. just happens just nature right. like dancers happens for singer if they've been smart it happens later it happens in their 50s or 60s but it happens mm -hmm. and then choosing the right vehicles for those last performances and where to do them and how to do them i will speak out of out of court to say that i had a conversation here in my apartment in my studio with Renee about three or four years before Rosenkavalier at the Met, where I said, you must stop right then. And we had a long conversation. She said, no, no, I don't know if I want to. And this went on for the whole four years until it actually happened. And even then she didn't want to. Okay. But you know what? By stopping with that, and she'll go back and do something. There's something in the wind of a yeah. world premiere. She'll go yeah. back and do something. But, but, but that kept that that's what leontine did that kept that legend that's what yeah. sutherland did stopping at the right time in the right piece with the right situation is as important as how you start because you. if you go too long you destroy it yep you destroy it now and they remember that they don't remember the great as much mm -mm. that's correct miss horn and i had these conversations <laughs> And she said to me, Henry always told me he would tell me when it's time. And I said to her, this was during her Falstaffs at the Met. He died during that period. I said, it's time now to stop with the Met. And it's time soon to stop. And she, I have to say, again, she kicked and screamed, but she finally did. Yeah. See, the Met Falstaff was her, with Levi was her last appearance. Yeah. 
not an opera, but it was the last of the Met. And then slowly she did the, the other. But you know, she was going to go back to La Scala to sing the Marquise and the Daughter of the Regiment. I said, oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. You know, no, 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 no. But that's yeah. what I mean. It, it, the beginning and the end. And you know, some people listen. It's an addiction, my dears. It is. It's, it's, it's an addiction. Performing in front of the public, singing itself, but also performing in front of is an addiction. And the, and the energy of working and the proper preparing and the rehearsals and the fun of the rehearsals and the play, it's, it's an addiction. And to, to, to transition into anything else, you mourn for it. We yeah. know. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking way out of school to say these things, but it should be said because there is a way to do it. Take a breath and say, this is the way to do it and to maintain a legacy to maintain what you've achieved over 30 or 40 years. Right. You know, it, it, and if you look at the great ones, either they stop too soon, like Farrar and Poncel, or yeah. right on the button, like Leontine, or Schwarzkopf, or Sutherland, or mm -hmm. Rene, or Chekhov. Chekhov went out of the Vienna State Opera on a televised gala in which he sang an act of Hoffmann, an act of Carmen, an act of Pique Dame, and an act of La Juive, with great colleagues, with Ferruccio and with uh, Anya Celia, and an incredible group of people, and he, a huge hour-long ovation, televised, and that was his last stage performance. There you go. But he, was also he was going to go back to sing at the folk sofa the following autumn with some Turandots, which he had sung in that, that year before. And I said, no, you are not going to. And we fought bitterly over it. But I, pre I, 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 I prevailed with that because he's my brother. But there's a point where you have to live life. And I don't think a lot of people know that when what we do, it, it's, there's no yes, life. you're living, but you're not because you have this very strict regime that you have to follow. And to just be able to wake up when you want to wake up and drink coffee all day if you want to drink coffee, which causes terrible reflux for a lot of singers, yeah. or eat spicy food, or you know what I mean? And and you have to live life too at some yeah. point. Well, the thing is, it's very, very important to know how how psychologically you can face, because I mean, as people realize this year, the loss. Now I have people who spent the last three or four years complaining about their careers. And then this year hit, and they had no work. Yep. And suddenly they realized that they were bereft in mid-career. This is people uh, 40, yep. 42, a little under 38, people who've been eight, 10 years in career. They were bereft. You have to know what you need, when you need it. And you also have to know that it is, a, it is an addiction. Yep. It is a very serious addiction. And you have to know when it's time to start cooling it cooling it and you can do it gradually you can do it gradually but one of the things i said earlier about having to be very choosy you get choosy you do less instead of it's 50 performances it's 40 it's 40 it's 30 it becomes possible it becomes possible you get more concert performances. great let's do some concerts that's a good thing i like that i'm only away to do those two concerts for a week i'm not away for six weeks or eight weeks there's a lot of things you can do as you get to that point but teach, choosing supplement with teaching teach, of master classes. and not everybody should teach both of you Thank i'm you. sure are great at it if you want to but there are people who aren't for it it's <laughs> an art and i often find some of the best singers are the worst teachers some of them are because they can't verbalize how they do it because they have a very unique technique 
only for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what they do doesn't translate to other people. And well, I'll tell you that, for example, Dmitry Borostovsky, all through his time in Chicago, he always refused. Whenever I asked him to teach, he always refused. Mm. He always refused. I, this, uh, the other person who refused for a long time, but I've now, but he then got to it and then did really well, and now he's doing it, is Jim Morris. But he's evidently a very good teacher for men, male singers. Very I good. I see that. I could see that because it's, it's an, you have to be a psychiatrist, first yeah, of all. Yeah. You have to get inside of their head and see what they're thinking. And well, you also have to be- well, Also, you have to see what their lingo is, what makes sense to yeah. Because some and, teachers just only teach one way of, of something and that doesn't work for everybody. That's not like this book and print. I mean, I, I always love those teachers that understood my brain as far as how I interpreted information. And that's what really works. And a good teacher knows how to approach something 10 different ways. It's very interesting because as I said, I don't ever claim to be a voice teacher but I have taught voice. Mm-hmm. And I always talk about sensation. Don't listen. Sensation, sensation, sensation. How, I, you understand what I'm talking about, about this vowel, vibrate, vibrate. You know, it, Carrie knows, because I've, I've used these things. But again, every, the language that, if I, if I work with someone that works well, the language that we develop working together is collaborative. Yeah. Right. It's not me telling them, it's us working, working out right. our, a, a language and it's very strange you can do the same part with five different singers and it will be entirely different absolutely. that way because right. the singer's instinct is important too absolutely and i think that i think the idea of this dialogue mm. is the thing that makes a really good teacher is a dialogue Thanks. it's a really yeah. good yet mm. yet with authority yet with good ears yeah and some honesty that's one of my questions for you because from the first time that I met you at Music Academy, I mean, you said it like it was. There were no kind of, you know, same as Marilyn. She just straight shooter. Whether I wanted to hear it or not, I was told it. And I always appreciated that because I knew that I could come to you at any point in my life or my career and ask you, and you were going to give me your honest opinion. And I. You think I'm a soprano? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to say how important that for you to tell young singers how important that is to have those kind of people in their lives, to have those people that are telling them, hey, listen, it's time to quit singing, or hey, listen, maybe this repertoire isn't the right repertoire for you, or this teacher isn't the right teacher for you. I think that's important stuff. I was really lucky to know both of you. Yeah, well, you know, the wonderful thing is that she was my mentor. I had great mentors. My great mentors were Evelyn Lear and Thomas Stewart, Marilyn and Henry, yeah. both because I was close to them both married but I stayed close to both of them when they were no longer married yeah. Henry lived Henry used to live next door to me for several years in the Ansonia so we would have coffee almost every morning I, having them as mentors but then also luckily having John Crosby Artis Kranick Ronald Wilford uh, you know these were incredible mentors incredible yeah. mentors Joan Ingpen I mean, incredible, men- Kurt Herbert Adler, mm-hmm. incredible wow. mentor. I learned so much observing, but also talking, also knowing these people. You know, I, I always tell people, that when, when singers say to me, do, you, do I have to sing a Mozart aria in an audition? You don't have to, but it's good to sing something that's in the classical world, you know, the pre-Bel Canto, pre, pre-1800 world, because Dr. Herbert Graf, who was the head of the, Geneva Opera when I knew him, but a famous stage director and teacher, and he was the head of the Zurich Opera for many years. 
Dr. Graf, and he also was very important in Los Angeles and taught there with Ebert. But Dr. Graf, I had some auditions in my early days for the Geneva Opera, and he said, you always ask for a Mozart aria because it tells you so much about the technique. Everything. You know, and that's interesting. Now, not everybody should sing Mozart. She hates it. I love it. You know how much I love Mozart. You're it's a Mozart. You're, yeah. you're, it's a foundation for your voice. It is not for Sandra's voice. It's not no. her voice. Hates but, it. but, but, but on the other hand, I would say to Sandra, sing Gluckzifischen Antonid or Alsace, mm -hmm. both sure. of which would be great. You know, you know, it's very funny. I went to the Met, to the Flying Dutchman about 15 years ago. And I went backstage to see this lady who was doing Senta. Her name was Nina Stemme. And I had, <laughs> met, I had met Nina Stemme when she sang at the Cardiff Singer of the World way back. She was in the one that was one, uh, it, was, it was not the Bryn Terville Dimitri year. It was the next one. It was 91 that she was in Cardiff Singer. Well, I met her there. We chatted a bit. And then we got stuck at the Bayreuth Airport in the fog going so the Nuremberg airport in the fog for like four hours. Oh my God. And she and her children and her husband were sitting there and we had a long conversation with singing Freya. We had a long conversation about life and repertoire and what she should sing. Cause she was at Cardiff, she was singing Mimi. She was singing, you know, uh, really? medium, medium, medium weight stuff. I think the heaviest thing she sang was Liza Liza. Oh. Um, but I, she was, was clearly going to be a German soprano of a certain sort. I said, but go slow, learn the Italian parts, learn the, learn the, you know, and she said, she said, well, I'm in Cologne Fest starting next season. I said, great, go slow. And when I saw her doing Senta at the Met, she said, I was slow, wasn't I? I said, yes, and you can, <laughs> and you can sing Senta now. And then I came to her very first cycle of Brunhilde at San Francisco. And I came backstage after Gutter Demeron. She gave me the biggest hug and she said, slow. Slow, wow. slow, slow wins, slow wins. You get, you, you get your technique, you get your stage stuff, you get your languages, you learn what the art form is really about, you balance your private life, slow wins. Slow wins, and no one teaches that anymore, Matthew, I have nope. to say. I mean, no one's teaching. I, I do. I, I, you yeah. do. You do. You taught me. Like, don't. Marilyn did too. Don't you dare push it and wreck that voice. You keep that voice healthy. I want you singing in your sixties. Yeah, that's right. It. Tortoise in the hair. That's what. That's what somebody well, wants very early me. on. Excuse me. You you're smiling all the way right now, right? Yes. And we she go is. back. We go back to twenty five years at least. When did I? Yeah. When did you walk into the Met? Not not you. Five years ago. 25 years ago, we go back 25 years. And I Carrie know. and I, how far do we go back? 20 about. Oh no, I'm not that old, Matthew. We go back like nine. <laughs> no, Music Academy, first year. Music Academy, that was like 2001. Carrie was a baby. Okay, that's Carrie's 20 years, mm -hmm. 20 years. But, but really, but there are stories like that of everyone. Poor Erin Wall, I met her at Music Academy. Susanna Phillips, Music Academy. Isabel, yeah. it, Isabel, I had not met her yet. There, there was a competition. Were you there that year? No, no. that was later. Later. Isabel came out in, a, in the song competition and the lights had gone out in that auditorium mm -hmm. before they renovated it. The, the lights Abravanel? had gone out. No, no, yeah, the Abravanel Hall. The lights had gone out in the auditorium and they had to open the side door so the sun could come in because there was no light. And <laughs> she came out and sang some Schumann's Frauenleben. Mm -hmm. And I went, Oh my dear, she's a major artist. Yeah. And about four or five days later, she came in to sing for me. And I gave her a piece of paper that I wrote during our hour session. 
mm-hmm. where I wrote down eight arias and I wrote about 10 roles. And I said, here, take this, learn all this. And we'll talk in the fall. She, about six months, a year ago, she sent me a copy of that list. Oh. It said it was Vanessa, it was Carabino, it was uh, Stefano, it was Zerlina. It was everything that she saw. Everything. Perfect. Love Perfect. It. I well, love it. you know what? That must make your heart feel really good that people actually listen to your advice. Well, yeah. I know I have, and I know Carrie has. This year has proved to me I have no more ambition at all. Okay. None. That's None. huge, Matthew. That's huge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. None. I've done everything I could want to do. I would like to have produced Le Toyant. I almost got a new Cellini in Chicago when they canceled. You got to do Pirates of Penzance, God help us. But, but you know, other than doing a, my own production of Le Toyant, I, I got to do almost every opera I ever wanted to do somehow. Cool. I did enormous numbers of Rossini and Handel's and Strauss's and Modern's. I mean, the pieces I was involved with for, the, for 50 years, I mean, incredible amount of repertoire between uh, Chicago and Wales and Santa Fe and San Francisco and various places that I consulted with. I've done, you can't imagine how many operas I've done and how many recordings and how I've yeah. done everything that I could have wanted to do. And I guess most important is I've seen two generations, maybe even three generations grow up and come towards the end. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. But that's, I mean, the, that's... Ge- the generation I started in 1970, 71, 72 is now mostly retired. Yeah. But, that, but this year has probably been good for a lot of people in reflecting upon that and saying, you know what? I've said everything I need to say professionally. Yeah. And, you know, it's time for me to step away and live my life. I my think some people, life. I think some people will. I think you will find that when this is over, some people will just not come back. They will have taken a teaching job or they would have taken a job in another area that's more lucrative. Frankly, if you are in the real estate business and you start to sell high-end properties, you make more money in, in one sale than you make in a year in our profession. <laughs> it's true. No, I mean, I, I honestly, with a lot of my singer friends, that was massively discussed. It's a, it was, why are we trying to hold on to something that we already know we're going to come back to with lower fees? And because this you have to. It's the question really of that compulsion, that addiction. If you have to, you have to. And if you don't have to, you know, I've often said this to people. They come to me and say, well, you know, it's not going so well. And do you think I should stop? And I look at them and I say, do you? And if they do, they should stop. If they don't, they should continue. You know, there are ways forward of various sorts within the profession that are very important. And of course, teaching is one of them. Teaching is certainly one of them. But, you know, I don't think teaching will, will make up for performing. Performing is something so special. Right. So unique. Right. It's here, you know. It's, yeah. It's your, it, it feeds your soul in a way. As, as artists, as singers, uh, it gives you that, that it, there's an empty spot and it fills it. And that's all I can. That's, that's exactly, I- that's exactly right. It fills that empty spot. I'll tell you, I recommend a book to you. There is a really silly new book about Callas that was just came out. It's, I think it's called Prima Donna. It's a little book. You can look for it online. It's written by a clinical psychologist. Hmm. And it's about, it, about her, the actual facts. It's not interesting. What she's saying where, what she's saying when, it's all mistakes. They talk about 
things that come out of Numidea for Pirata and things that come out of Arabolena for Traviata, mistakes. It's all full of mistakes. Hmm. But the essence of her upbringing and the terrible troubles with her mother and father and sister and the, 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 the Second World War and what she lived through and all of the psychological and you know, the life with Menaghini and then what happened with Onassis, that part of the book is fascinating because it's about the narcissism that a performer has to have to be a performer mm -hmm. and about the deep insecurity and fear that every performer also has to feel. The performer is an unbelievably calibrated balance between aggression and narcissism and deep feelings of insecurity and fear. And you're always on this, this singer people, this is why this is such an amazing profession. You're always on a tightrope. Always. Because it's you're only so good as your last phrase, as your last performance. You know, you know that everything. It's like it's like you know, it's like jumping out of an airplane, not showing if you got a parachute. It's really it's a wonderful thing, but it's a, but it's danger. It's absolutely confronting danger. It's exciting, mm -hmm. but but also scary. And and the thing is that this book, um, it says it. It says it. Finally, someone wrote this about someone and why she was. On one side, the monster. On the other side, the pitiable creature she was. Hmm. It's really fascinating. Fascinating. We'll okay, one last question before we hit rapid fire. Opera America Hall of Fame. What do you think about it? Um, You've been inducted was, into it. I thought it was sweet. Uh, I think this is where I get arrogant. I think I've done a lot yeah. for a lot of people in the field and for the field. I mean, I don't just think of this artist's but I think of the music. Look how many world premieres I was involved with. Right. Look at the the, era, the artistic era in Chicago that I was that I was part of. I mean, you know, the idea of the, the 20th century initiative, that was my idea. I'm sorry, you can ask anybody who was in the room. That was my idea. That wasn't Bruno Bartoletti's idea. That wasn't Artis's idea. That was my idea. I told artists after we'd had a success with something, We'd done, oh, Satyagraha. Mm -hmm. I said, we should do one of these every year. And we should do a 20th century piece every year. And so we started our 10 year plan. And that was the centerpiece of the Lyric Opera's success. Okay. Plus, plus what we did in Santa Fe from 1971 or two until two years ago. That was all I was involved with. I'm, I'm proud of what I did with music too. I brought all this Rossini and French bel canto, you know, all this stuff back into currency. There are pieces that, I, I mean, I, I, won't, I, I still want Zelmira to play somewhere. Why don't you do it, Sandra? Good piece for you. Okay, sure. Add it to Zelmira. the list. Zelmira. Zelmira, you know, actually, Z, Z, what's Carrie, you, you should do Hermione. Oh, God. Hermione is so fun. That would be amazing. Hermione, that's the one for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll, we'll look into them. Rapid fire. Do you know that we do yeah. rapid fire? No. Okay. Right. Well, here we go. Are we, 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 went, we went old school. We're going to old school this. Uh, we went with the James Lipton questions. Yeah. Inside okay. the Doctor Studio, are you ready? Yep. Ready? You want me to start? Go ahead. Yep. What is your favorite word? Bravo. What is no, your say favorite? it right. Say it right. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you got it. Put a lot of put a lot of space in it. I will never forget that sound for the rest, like my entire life. I know that sound. I know who I that vocal, is. I vocalize before key appointments, before key, before key performances. 
I, I literally do it. Ha, 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 hmm. Make sure that I have that upper resonance. I love you, Matthew. Hang on it, as I call it, right? You know, like, yeah. Yep. All right. What is your least favorite word? Lazy. Yeah. What turns you on? Music, food, and sex. <laughs> wow, we got three for one. Yay! Uh, what turns you off? Music. Worrying about money. Hmm. Um, worrying about the finance of things. I, I like to dream and think about the practical afterwards. Okay. I, I mean, I'm pretty practical, but worry about money in any situation, whether it's my own finance or someone else's or the opera house, you know, I, it's not something I think about. It's not where I come from. Okay. Okay. What noise do you love? Sound no. or noise? Bravo! <laughs> 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 what sound or noise do you hate? Silence. Yeah. Oh. That's Can been we a have very a moment for that? been a very a bit yeah, it's been a very sad year because you know, I I can watch things on video. And I you know, I've been listening to some stuff on Sirius, but you know, it's not the same as being in the room. I don't I don't have the same experience. It just isn't. And I can't wait to go into the hall vocalize and and have a performance of some mad Donizetti craziness that I can go and carry on and have a have fun time interacting with the rest of the audience. Yeah. That's why I feel so sad when people don't understand why this enthusiasm that I have is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's a little immature, but I'm like a child. I'm like a I'm like a 16-year-old in some way. Well, I, I still I still believe I, I believe too. I, you know, I think I will never forget this. We were, you and I were in Carnegie Hall. I was sitting right behind you. I don't even remember what we were listening to, but it was so amazing. This phrase that the singer sang and you turned around and you go, did you hear that? And I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> now people around here are like, shh. I'm like, oh, whatever. okay. I watched this morning the most funny video. It was a concert at the, in the parks of Caballé and Horn with Kurt Herbert Adler conducting and Caballé sang the big rondo from Los Orange del Lago. Yeah. And at one point she sang one of those big runs up to the high note and then a big drop, drop, drop into the chest voice. Yeah. And when she sang the drop, she looked over at Marilyn Horn and they both started to giggle. Caballé <laughs> had to, had to try, try to not giggle while she was singing the rest of this mad rondo. She sang it wonderfully, you find it on YouTube. This one over here. She and I together, bad news. Bad, yeah. bad news on stage. Wait, way too much fun having shenanigans yeah. happening. Okay, go ahead. Oh, you're going to let me ask this one again. Yep. All right, Matthew. What is your favorite curse word in any language? Shit. Voila. There you go. Okay, what this is, I'm interested in this answer. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Like to be a madam for men. <laughs> Wait, and woof, <laughs> a madam for men. I'd like to set up what a profession. I'd like to, I'd like to set up the best hooker hooker thing a hooker uh, uh, agency in the world. I would be great at it. I, you know what? I have no doubt. I absolutely have. I'd be great at it. Yes, I do. I know. I, I, know, don't even know I know how to respond to that. I know as much about that as I do about music and food. So I'd be great at it. I love it. I, I really, I love that so much. Okay. 
Go ahead. And what profession would you not like to do? Run a West restaurant. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Well, tough. Right now. Or a hotel. Oh, tough. And you know, I love both. I love the best restaurants and I love great hotels. I've yeah. stayed in so many of them and I'm very difficult about the room I stay in and the, the service I get. I mean, I really am a, a, a balabusta. I mean, really tough, but I gotta tell you something. I, I feel for the people who run these places. It must be impossible, especially high end where people really expect mm -hmm. the best. Yep, yep, all the complaining. Okay, last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? Welcome. Some Welcome. With a very loud bravo. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome! <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. I know, what I, I know what I would say to him. Uh -oh. What would that be? Which way can I, which way is Miss Collis's home <laughs> so i want to talk i want to talk to her yes i got i got a few things may, to say she may she may be down below i do you know the thing i wish i had been born 20 years earlier yeah. first of all to have seen her in yeah. in her prime i saw her do Totska and okay. i saw her do concerts okay. but I, I i i didn't see her in her prime in la scala and Bolena. probably i didn't see those great things okay had i been born 20 years earlier and had been able to see her and also to know her Maybe I would have had no effect whatsoever, but I think, given she was super smart, that somewhere in the early 50s, especially this, oh, let's go right there before we break off. Never, ever, ever try to lose weight quickly. Singers should not lose weight quickly. Thank uh, you. Exercise, fine. Uh, uh, eat carefully, fine. But people who are supposed to be a certain weight don't lose 60 pounds because you lose your singing. Thank you can't you. do it. No, absolutely. Time Voice. and time again, we have seen that. Now, if God has been good to you, you know, you, you, you're lucky that you're not heavy. But if, you're, if God has not been good to you, lose very slowly and be the best you you can be. But you can't be twiggy. It's not going to work because your voice, and that's what she did. She went from being this very large woman. Yeah. You know, Juno-esque is what they described her as, to being Audrey Hepburn, and it didn't work. Nope. 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 And the voice, by the time, by the time she lost in 53-4, by the time she got to 56-7, it was gone. And it took cool. three years. So I was brought up on the time of where, where there was Arroyo and Caballé and McNeil and, and you know, Sutherland and, you know, big people. I mean, even right. Riesenek was not small. Riesenek was not big, no. but she was not small. No. She, you know, but many of the greatest singers, there were small right. singers. There, there was Simeonato, and there was Cosotto, and there was Bumbry. There were beautiful singers, physically very, very attractive. But, you know, you couldn't hire them because of that. You could hire them because they were good singers. And in fact, when some of the most glamorous young singers came along and moved too fast, and we can, I can think of two American sopranos in the 50s and 60s who came along and moved very fast, and mm -hmm. their careers ended very quickly because they were what I call, you know, they were they, they were uh, cosmetic talents. I mean, my yeah. I had a British friend used to call that kind of singer a cosmetic talent because when you close your eyes, it wasn't very good. I like a voice when I listen to two bars of the voice, I know who it is. Thank you, thank you, young singers out there. 
listen to that because you know what having a distinctive voice nowadays i i think oftentimes they're criticized for it okay. you know yeah you don't sound like everyone else but no, well too. excuse me excuse me Collis was criticized for it yeah and you know, now let's be honest she's they didn't elected. know what to do they didn't know what to do with joan sutherland either so you have to, that's what i'm saying you have to persevere in some way you, you know some some careers are early starters and some careers are, are builders that, that, that can start early but build and other careers really find their fruit later 20 years in thank, Talk. thank you so much it, for joining us we well, we are I, so honored that I, you i knew this. it would be fun with you too that's what it has been Thanks. and we missed you i know yeah well so i miss you and, and, was, and you gave was, me free I advice was, and i appreciate I was, that i was wondering well, I'll, I'll give you free advice again when you come to new york Come over and visit me. I knew I would enjoy having this conversation. I'm a screaming diva too. Yay! Are you kidding me? Oh my, you're like the king of the, I actually like the, the queen. queen. The, the queen, queen of screaming divas. Let me put your program together. I'm sure I could make a doozy of a program. I bet okay. you I'm, yeah, yeah. But, but it has to be really smart program. It has hmm. to be artistically. I tell you, I could, I could do it in, in 15 minutes. I have so, no doubt. I, no okay. doubt. Well, we'll, have a, we'll, you... we'll have a meeting first in, the, in person and then we'll have a Zoom meeting after that and we'll make a program. I love that. Perfect. Anyway, I want to say thank you. And yes, my thank pleasure. You. And we love my you. Pleasure. So lovely. I loved it. I loved it. Bye. All right.